Well, good morning. It's good to see uh, all of your beautiful faces this morning. Is it good to see my face? Yes. I'm going to talk about lying today. No, it's really good uh, to be with you all this morning and uh, to worship um, together. And um, I'm confident that uh, this week uh, there have been uh, many, uh, many blessings um, in our lives and many challenges. And uh, this morning, um, we're going to uh, talk about an incredible um, declaration, incredible promise um, that Jesus gives the disciples um, before um, he um, goes to the cross. Um, so to get us started this morning, I just want to kind of review a little bit of where we are. And we find ourselves um, in the midst of um, the Passion Week um, before Jesus is going to be crucified. And I put together a little um, chart for everyone to see that um, on Sunday uh, was a triumphal entry back in um, John chapter 12, which for us was um, mid-July. So um, the Gospel of John doesn't have um, the events of um, Monday and Tuesday with the cursing of the fig tree, the cleansing of the temple, um, the uh, the withered uh, fig tree. Um, and um, several other things that uh, aren't recorded um, in the Gospel of John um, there on, on Monday and Tuesday. We find on Wednesday that there's a conspiracy of the chief priests um, that's going on, and um, we find um, on Wednesday that there's this plot of Judas. So where we are is actually on Thursday, and that is where we have been um, since um, mid-July. Uh, there's been much um, going on uh, here at the Last Supper, and um, we are before Gethsemane, and we're at um, the Last Supper and on the way to the Last Supper. In chapter 13, uh, we're reminded that Jesus uh, washed the disciples' feet, and he gives them a lesson on loving and serving uh, one another. There he identifies um, Judas as his betrayer. He tells um, of Peter's denial and has this um, awkward, um, difficult conversation with Peter. In chapter 14, um, Jesus um, tells um, his going away, that he's going away to prepare a place uh, for his people. He also, in chapter 14, um, tells them uh, that they know the way to where he is going, of which um, they don't understand, which seems to be a regular theme and will be again a little bit today. Again, in chapter 14, he identifies himself as the way, the truth, and the life, he points out that the works of the disciples um, that they will do uh, will be greater than the works um, that he has done. But they have to keep their eyes on him to do all of these things. He promises to send a helper, the Holy Spirit, and in doing so, uh, he again uh, reveals um, that he will be leaving soon. We're reminded um, that love for God is now defined um, by obeying Jesus' commands and that this helper that's coming, the Holy Spirit, will help them do that. Jesus tells them um, not to not let their hearts be troubled um, because he's leaving uh, the Holy Spirit with them. And in so doing, um, he says in, in verse 27, peace I leave with you. And again, he reminds them um, that uh, he won't um, be walking uh, with them anymore. And he encourages them in chapter 14 to believe him. In chapter 15, again, the Last Supper, we find that Jesus points out that those who are truly of God are followers of him, that they are part of the true vine. And in saying this, he points out that uh, there are those um, who aren't truly of God who believe that they are. 
and reminds them that if they abide in Christ, the Father will produce much fruit in them. He reminds them to keep their eyes on Christ. And if they abide in Christ, also in chapter 15, that the joy of Christ will be in them and they will be full. And when they have a life that's full of joy of Christ, they will love one another and the world will know of, of, that they are his because of their love. And Jesus lays out what it means to belong with and to Christ in chapter 15. He teaches them that because of him, the world will hate them. After all, if they hate Jesus, certainly um, they will hate his followers. But don't worry, um, he tells them, I'm sending you my helper. In the beginning of John chapter 16, um, he opens with these words. He says, I have said all of these things to you to keep you from falling away. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think that he is offering service to God. And they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. But I have said these things to you, that when their hour comes, that you may remember that I told them to you. I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you. He tells them again that he's going away to the Father. And sorrow um, fills the hearts of the disciples as they little by little um, are beginning to understand what Jesus is telling them. Much, much like the untying of a knot, in the beginning it seems um, difficult, um, if not impossible. Um, but as you begin to untie um, this knot, um, it becomes clearer and clearer little by little. And we're also reminded in the first part of, of chapter 16 that uh, the Spirit will uh, do a few things. It will convict the world of sin, righteousness, and of judgment, and will guide the disciples into all truth. And in the absence of Jesus' physical body here on earth, the Spirit will now speak for him and for the Father. All of these things are happening on Thursday, and Jesus um, is sharing uh, many of um, his final words, his final encouragements, his final challenges, because he knows uh, what it is that the disciples will be facing. Because, as we see on Friday, um, the trial before Pilate, his crucifixion and his burial, his death um, is coming. On Saturday, a day of a great grief and mourning, we know that um, they simply just watched the tomb with Jesus' lifeless body inside. And praise God for Sunday, huh? That on Sunday, just a few days later, uh, Jesus' body is resurrected from the dead. So this morning, as we uh, get into the second half of John chapter 16, I just want to take a moment and uh, ask of the Lord to guide us today. So God, we indeed, uh, we are grateful. We're grateful for your grace. We're grateful for your goodness. We're grateful that uh, you are patient with people like us. We're grateful, too, for your word, and, and, and in these moments here, we're grateful that uh, we're not the only ones who don't get it at times. We're both encouraged and challenged um, by the disciples here. So, God, today, as, as we read your word, God, we simply ask that uh, your spirit would indeed guide us into all truth. God, that uh, you would teach us, God, that you would bring things um, to our hearts and our minds, that we would be able to keep our eyes on you, 
that we would be able to be courageous. And because of that, that our joy might be full and we might know the peace of God in ways that we've never known. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. So if you've got your Bibles this morning, turn to John chapter 16. John chapter 16, and we're actually going to start in verse 16. I want to read through it all here first, and then we'll come back and unpack section by section of what's going on. In verse 16, Jesus says, A little while, and you will see me no longer. And again, a little while, and you will see me. So some of his disciples said to one another, What is this that he says to us? A little while, and you will not see me. And again, a little while, and you will see me. And because I'm going to the Father... So they were saying, what does he mean by a little while? We do not know what he is talking about. And Jesus knew that they wanted to ask him, so he said to them, Is this what you are asking yourselves, what I meant by saying a little while and you will not see me? And again, a little while and you will see me? Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. When a woman is giving birth She has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish. For joy that a human being has been born into the world. So also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again. And your hearts will rejoice and no one will take your joy from you. In that day you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now you have asked nothing in my name. Ask, and you will receive, that your joy may be full. Verse 25, I have said these things to you in figures of speech. The hour is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figures of speech, but will tell you plainly about the Father. In that day you will ask in my name. And I do not say to you that I will ask the Father on your behalf, for the Father himself loves you, because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. I came from the Father and have come into the world, and now I am leaving the world and going to the Father. His disciples said, Ah, now you are speaking plainly and not using figurative speech. Now we know that you know all things and do not need anyone to question you. This is why we believe that you came from God. And Jesus answered them, Do you now believe? Behold, the hour is coming. Indeed, it has come. When you will be scattered, each to his own home, and will leave me alone. Yet I'm not alone, for the Father is with me. I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Clear as mud, right? Jesus is uh, continuing to use this figure of speech, uh, this moment where they're like, ah, right in the middle. Uh, So grateful that uh, Jesus is finally, at least in their world, speaking plainly to them. But not so in the beginning, uh, where Jesus starts out by saying, a little while and you will see me no longer, and again, a little while and you will see me. (laughs) Jesus tells them that he's going away, um, and they seem... Um, to finally, maybe just a little bit, to get what's going on. And uh, here, uh, we're reminded that um, there are different interpretations possible as to what Jesus is actually referring to. 
it's possible um, by some um, experts um, that uh, he's referring to his resurrection that's about to come in just a few days. Some have said that it's about his second coming or the coming of the Holy Spirit. I think here, um, as you look at the context, what Jesus is talking about is that he will be resurrected from the dead. So although a little while and you will see me no longer, and again, a little while you'll see me. So you won't see me for a while, but you will see me again, and you will see me soon. In John uh, 16, verses 18, and, and then in 19, uh, we see um, that Jesus also knew what they wanted to ask him. So Jesus, what he doesn't do is just sit over in the corner and, and wait for them to come. Jesus actually goes to them. Have you ever had a question about what it is that God wanted you to do, or a question about um, what it is that God means um, in his word? I'm just grateful and encouraged this morning that he doesn't wait necessarily for us to always go to him. Um, but here in this moment that uh, he went to the disciples, even time after time when they don't get it, um, they don't understand. Um, it is such um, good news. And says, is this what you want to know? So Jesus answers the question in verse 20 in this way. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will weep and lament? Seriously? Jesus, you talk about how you're, you're going to go away, and we don't quite understand what that means, and now you're talking about a little while here and a little while there, and now um, you're saying, as uh, you're going to answer this question for us, that what we're going to experience is we're going to weep and lament, and the world's going to be happy about it. He goes on to say that you will be sorrowful. And then he says that your sorrow will turn into joy. Keep in mind, they still don't really and fully understand what it is that Jesus is talking about. And now, again, as he has been <laughs> over the course of this day, seemingly giving them um, more bad news upon bad news upon more bad news. He's already reminded them, as we reviewed a minute ago, that they'll be hated. He reminds them that he's going away. Um, he tells them that they know uh, where he's going, but they're like, no, 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 we don't. <laughs> we don't know where you're going, nor do we know how to get there. And he's giving them um, bad news again. So why will they be sorrowful? Jesus is going to be gone. He's the source of their hope. He's their purpose. He is who they left their lives for. And he's no longer going to be present um, in um, their, their lives. So I would think that uh, for them, as they begin to untie this knot and God unties it for them, that their hope, um, their very life is um, gone in, in some sense. So what type of sorrow is it that uh, we're talking about? We have all kinds of sorrow, don't we? Some, it might be the loss of a job, might be strained relationships with family. It might uh, be getting older and we can't do uh, what we once did um, before. It might be the death of someone that we love, and it causes us sorrow. It might be one of our kids uh, walking away from the Lord. It might be um, seeing our country um, just continue to decline and to um, decay. And if we were to just begin to share, I'm pretty, pretty sure we could fill the next few hours of talking about things that um, have brought us pain and sorrow. 
um, in our lives. And I think even this year, um, although I haven't counted, I'm pretty confident I've done more funerals this year <laughs> than I've done in my lifetime, um, all put together. Um, there, is, there is much um, sorrow. Today, um, many of us um, know that uh, it marks 21 years since 9-11, a day that uh, was filled um, with much sorrow. We all um, experienced it. We all remember uh, where we were uh, when we saw those planes as the first one flew in to the tower, and we thought, well, what, what, what's going on? That's weird that a plane wouldn't see the tower there. And as it began to unfold, and we realized, well, maybe, maybe there's something nefarious going on, we see the second one hit the towers. And then as we all kind of stood there in shock and in front of the, the TVs uh, watching what was going on, uh, we see things that are just... Um, unimaginable or unexplainable in our lifetime. We see people jumping from, um, from the building as though that's a better option than um, being in the fire. We, we see the towers um, collapse and the smoke um, that went up. We all were glued to our TVs um, in the days and weeks to come as they dug through the rubble, um, just hoping longing for at least one person uh, to have made it, uh, to have survived uh, what we all, if we were honest, um, knew. Um, they weren't. Um, the, this moment, um, some moments um, in our lives, you know, when we think about the type of, of sorrow, um, that there's no bright side. There's no turning uh, to joy um, after um, things like 9-11 for a loved one that uh, doesn't know the Lord and um, their physical life is gone. There's no joy in those moments. It's only filled uh, with grief um, and sorrow. And at 9-11, uh, we uh, are, are filled and have been filled with nothing but grief um, and mourning uh, for our whole nation. But I don't think this is the type of sorrow that um, Jesus um, is talking about. Um, he's talking about the fact that it will be different. In verse 20, he says that uh, you will be sorrowful. But he says this, but your sorrow will turn into joy. Your sorrow will turn into joy. And then he begins to describe what this will be like and what it is that he means. In verse 21, He says, when a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. I can only imagine the faces of the disciples as Jesus was um, saying this. Um, really? We're talking about a woman giving birth now? <laughs> like, What? I mean, it seems this random um, transition of uh, which Jesus is talking about, but as we begin to understand what it is that he's trying to get at, um, the analogy um, begins to make um, perfect sense. And it might be a surprise to you, but I've, I've never actually given birth to a child. <laughs> I haven't um, experienced it. Um, I have, I've seen it. <laughs> I've seen it a few times. And um, I don't um, intend to uh, try to describe it. I'm sure women will be mad at me because I won't do it justice. But 
fair to say um, those moments of giving birth are, are filled with anguish. Yes, ladies? <laughs> I, I hear sorrow right now. <laughs> yes. Um, it is mental. It is emotional. Um, it is physical pain. Yes? Yes. You, you can say it louder. <laughs> and that there's an extreme effort that's given. Yes? All in the midst of um, much um, sorrow, much pain. Um, as some of you are thinking, uh, maybe, I, maybe I don't want to have kids. Um, but we also know, for those of us that have seen it, those of us that have experienced it, almost instantaneously, as the child um, is born and comes from the womb and is placed on the mother's chest, that, that sorrow, um, that pain is gone and now filled uh, with extreme joy. Yeah, amen. And in childbirth, um, as the pain is taken away, the child is the source of pain. And some of you are thinking, yeah, for the last 20 years. <laughs> some of you laughed too hard at that and your kids are in the room. What was causing pain in childbirth was the child. And what caused the joy was the child. The pain was turned into joy. Not replaced by joy, but turned into. In verse 22, Jesus begins to make it make more sense. He says, So also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again, and your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take your joy from you. The disciples already have sorrow. They're already seemingly in the midst of labor pains as they've been all day with Jesus as he begins to do just dropping um, these truths over and over again. And many of them don't seem at all like good news. And there's this anguish and this pain and this sorrow um, that they're experiencing over the last um, several hours um, with Jesus. And they're beginning to understand that um, Jesus is leaving. He's leaving. But they don't yet see it. And Jesus reminds them over the next 24 to 72 hours, these labor pains, much like childbirth, are going to get worse and worse. They're going to intensify. They're going to get closer together as he is arrested as he's beaten, as he's crucified, and as he's laying there dead in the tomb. These labor pains will just get worse and worse. But what's hidden, what they don't see, is that the cause of their joy, Jesus tells them that he will see them again. I am going away for a little while, and in a little while you will see me again. And because of this, that their hearts will rejoice, and no one will be able to take their joy from them. They will see Jesus after his resurrection. They will see him. Imagine if you were there with the disciples in that moment and you're beginning to understand Jesus is no longer going to be with you. How sad you would be. And as you begin to understand 
that that sorrow is going to be turned to joy of which no one can take from you because he's coming back. Um, Man, that would be such um, good news. And in verse 23, he goes on and says, In that day you will ask nothing of me, and truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now you have asked nothing in my name, ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. We see another promise of Jesus regarding prayer here, as we've seen in the last few chapters. And in the days following Jesus' resurrection, the disciples will no longer need to seek him for anything. They'll be able to ask the Father directly. Jesus is helping them see. And he also points out that their joy will be full when they ask in accordance with the will of God. When they ask according to Jesus' name, they'll receive it. Meaning that their joy will be full when they experience God's will happening in their lives. You think about those times in our lives, not not when we've been happy, but when we've been full of joy. Aren't those the times when we know God's will is happening in our lives? That there's joy, um, immeasurable, um, uncontainable in our lives. Um, For me, I think that um, is the case. Let's keep moving forward as we look at uh, verses 25 through 28. And it says, I have said these things in figure of speech, and the hour is coming when I no longer speak to you in figures of speech, but will tell you plainly about the Father. I think they're, thank you, finally. Yes, tell me plainly. 26, and that day you will ask in my name, and I do not say to you that I will ask the Father on your behalf, for the Father himself loves you. Because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. I came from the Father and have come into the world, and now I am leaving the world and going to the Father. Finally, Jesus clears it up for them plainly that he is leaving this world and he's going to the Father. They finally understand. And there's some elatement uh, from them. In verse 29, it goes on and says, His disciples said, And now you are speaking plainly and not using figurative speech. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Now we know that you know all things and don't need anyone to question you. This is why we believe that you came from God. And Jesus answered them, Do you now believe? Behold, the hour is coming. Indeed, it has come when you will be scattered each to his own home and will leave me alone. Yet I'm not alone, for the Father is with me. So you got to love this. As Jesus, um, in essence, kind of gets them all confused about talking about leaving over the last um, several hours and telling them that they're going to be sorrowful. Um, and um, also um, this idea, don't worry, by the way, your, your joy is going to be full. I'll be gone, but then I'll be back. The disciples um, finally understand what it is that Jesus is talking about. And they're finally, they're okay with it. Finally, uh, they begin to understand. And then uh, Jesus, um, as he has just continued to do, they finally get it. They're, they're, they've got a little bit of excitement about this. Jesus has given them some good news and some clarity. Um, Jesus drops um, this other truth bomb. Um, he tells them that, uh, oh, by the way, you will be scattered. You will be alone and you won't have me anymore. 
by the way, you won't even be with me. Uh, uh. But don't worry about me. The Father will be with me. And then Jesus tells him why he's had this whole conversation with them to begin with in verse 33. He says, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. So why has he said all of these things? Why has he been talking the last um, few hours with them at the Last Supper and and as um, they walk to the garden? I'm saying these things in figurative speech and then plainly, why is it that he's done this? So that they will have peace. He wants them to have peace. But how? We're reminded back in John 14, early in this conversation, in verse 26, it says, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I'm going away and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced, but because I'm going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. Jesus told them earlier, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. They're going to have peace because Jesus is sending them his Holy Spirit. He's going to leave them with peace. Not because their circumstances are um, awesome or convenient or wonderful or all good. Um, He is leaving them uh, with um, His Spirit so they might have peace. And He says in this world, you will have tribulation. Wouldn't it be great if He just said, eh, maybe maybe, just maybe, you're going to have some trouble sometimes. I mean, I would vote for that interpretation. Wouldn't that be awesome? Just be like, you might, you might not. It, it might be okay. Um, you know, unless, unless you're the one where everything goes bad for us. Anybody the person where it always goes bad for? Who's the person here that, like, you always, like, win? Like, you play the lottery once in your life, you win the lottery... No one's willing to admit that here on Sunday morning. <laughs> um, somehow you, you make a, a foolish um, financial decision, but some aunt that you don't even know of, you know, leaves you a lot of money and pays it off for you. You know who you are. You're in the room. <laughs> Jesus says, in this world you will have tribulation. Word meaning trouble, persecution, hardship. So what is it that this world has to offer us? Nothing good. Our world is so corrupted by sin. And I think um, for us um, in our country, we have, um, maybe even foolishly so, um, been blinded um, by some of the privileges that we've had been able to experience for decades. Whereas the rest of the world um, has seen much trouble, persecution, and hardship. Our world doesn't offer us anything good. It is so, so corrupt. Sin has taken its hold. 
And because of this and these things and their belief in Christ, we know, as Jesus has already told them, that the world's going to hate them. By the way, I'm, I'm leaving. Um, I'm going to leave for a little while, then I'll be back. Um, your, your joy is going to be full. It's kind of, it's kind of like, you know, childbirth. <laughs> and um, they begin to understand, and then he tells them that uh, you're going to experience trouble and persecution. And then he says this, but take heart, I have overcome the world. I mean, this is incredibly good news. Jesus basically says to them, be courageous, I win. Not only I win, I won. I have overcome the world. So as we think about um, being persecuted, not, not you do something dumb and you have negative consequences. I'm not talking about that kind of hardship. I'm talking about the trouble, the persecution, the hardship that you might experience because people know that you follow Jesus. People know that you follow Jesus. I think there are times in our lives when we look back and say, okay, do I really experience trouble and hardship and persecution because I claim the name of Christ? Do I really experience that? If not, I think there's something wrong. (laughs) Because Jesus says you will have trouble. They will hate you because they hate me. It's good news. It's good to be hated. (laughs) Amen? (laughs) It's good to be hated. Not, Not because you're dumb and do dumb stuff, but because you know Jesus and you claim him. And you share the good news of Christ wherever you go. Jesus says, be courageous. In in the midst of that, be courageous. I have won. Be courageous. And because he wins, so do those who follow him. You are on his team. In 1 John, um, believers um, also are said to to overcome the world. And this they did by resisting pressures to turn aside from the message about Jesus that they had heard from eyewitnesses from the beginning. 1 John 5 tells us that. In chapter 2, we're reminded they were enabled to do so because the word of God remained in them. What is it that Jesus told the disciples to do? (laughs) To abide? (laughs) To abide in Christ? In chapter 4 in 1 John, it says, Because the one who was in them, the Spirit of truth, is stronger than the one who is in the world. Jesus says, Be courageous. I have overcome the world. So in regards to joy, friends, today I want us to know Jesus is the cause of our joy. He is the cause of it. In verse 22, we're reminded the Holy Spirit um, will continue it. Jesus is the cause. The Holy Spirit will continue it. In verse 24, we're reminded that Jesus is the one who makes our joy complete. It is not uh, what um, your bank account looks like. It is not uh, what type of house or car you drive, what neighborhood you live in, 
how well-behaved your kids are or aren't. Um, Jesus is the one who makes our joy complete. He is it. Regarding peace, check out what Paul says in Colossians chapter 3. He says, Put on, then, as God's chosen one, chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And then in verse 15, Paul says this, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. We must learn um, to hear, discern, and heed the voice of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And when we do and we obey that voice, the peace of Christ will dwell in our hearts. We must let the Holy Spirit rule. So this morning, the question is simple. Do we want peace as a follower of Christ? If we don't know Christ, certainly we need the peace um, that comes with the forgiveness of sin, where we turn our lives and repent, and we accept His grace and His forgiveness. But as followers of Christ, do we try to find peace in other things? If we want to find peace as followers of Christ, we must learn to submit to the Holy Spirit. So friends, this morning as we close, um, Jesus desires for his disciples to keep their eyes on him. Much like Peter as he stepped out of the boat, keep our eyes on Jesus and hear in John chapter 16, and, and even throughout this whole Thursday where Jesus is having this conversation with them. He's reminded them over and over and over again. Yes, you're going to experience trouble. Yes, people are going to hate you. Yes, you are going to experience trials and tribulation. Yes, I will be leaving, but I'll be back. But I'm sending my spirit. And in all of this, he wants them to be reminded Remember what I have told you. Keep your eyes on me. And when we do that, the Holy Spirit will guide us into all truth. And we will experience the joy. Joy to the full and a peace, as Philippians 4 says, that passes all understanding. Let's pray. God, we know today that uh, we have... Um, many things in our hearts and our minds that uh, trouble us and, and cause us grief and sorrow. God, we also confess to you that uh, we are weak. <laughs> we look to and count on um, at times um, things that aren't you um, to try to bring us joy and peace, and each and every time we fail. So God, this morning, we rejoice. We rejoice in the fact that... Um, you are patient with us. God, that you know our questions before we ask, we rejoice in the fact that you are the giver of joy. We rejoice in the fact that although um, there is sorrow um, in our lives, we rejoice in the fact that you are the source and the completeness of our joy. And God, we're grateful for the Spirit 
God, that guides us into all truth and grants us peace in the midst of trial and tribulation. God, may we be people who heed your words, who are courageous because you have overcome the world. Help us to be courageous this week. And God, whatever it is that we face, God, may may we keep our eyes on you. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.